Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. Can it be that simple? Talent. Develop a robust recruiting, vetting, and training process to help capable people and then help them to become who and what they want to be. Sales. Have a logical go-to-market strategy. Build the sales and marketing structure and plan around it and then attack and execute the plan with fanatical consistency. Scale. Know where you're going, why you're going. Share with others why they would want to join you. Be clear on who's allowed to join you and what they'll need to do to stay on board. Anticipate roadblocks. Avoid them before you get stuck. And then when you do hit one, and you will, stay calm, problem solve, and find resources to get unstuck. Sounds simple, right? Simple to understand, but not easy to do. Join us as we focus on the tips and tricks and hacks for running a profitable, hyper-growth business. We'll share real-world horror stories and celebrate the victory sagas that will inspire you. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Hey, it's Brian Whittington here with the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. And today I'm really excited to invite our next guest here, Marcus Kopke. Is that right? How you pronounce it? I'm, Eng- or I'm uh, American, so I have a horrible accent. How do you pronounce that right? Cow key. Cow like, cow like milk and key like milk. I've had every variation that doesn't matter. (laughs) Marcus Kalki. So welcome. He's author of Making Channel Sales Work, uh, a world-renowned Sandler trainer, a crazy guy with a whip, um, unbelievably fun. And although he's partially crazy with a whip, uh, I think he'll admit to that. He's one of the kindest, gentlest uh, people out there. Uh, The personal story back in probably... 2009, 2010. It was a cold, miserable November afternoon, rainy, and uh, he was super, super kind to me, sharing a taxi ride and everything else when I was new in the business. So welcome, Marcus. Thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Brian. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's jump right into this. I mean, we're talking channel sales. You wrote the book on it. You know, give us a little bit of of your background and why should we count you as an expert in this? Why should we even listen to you? Perhaps you shouldn't. Um, (laughs) I've been in sales since since 1986. I've been in Sandler since 2003. And on and off, I've been working with the channel um, pretty much all my career. And in 2016, I came across a one-inch side column um, from uh, Gartner. And it said that by 2026, 90% of technology would be sold through the channel. And like most people, I always thought the channel was this sort of sleepy backwater where Tim Nice But Dim went to die in the autumn years of his sales career. And then I started doing my research, and it turns out 75% of all products sold globally today are sold through the channel. And as I started to research, I started to realize just how much of my work had been in the channel and how much of everybody's work is in the the channel, whether you sell through distributors, resellers, partners, joint ventures, franchises, agencies, 
uh, affiliates, all of that stuff is channel. And uh, I, it, it struck me that this was a massively underserviced market. So when I did a search on Amazon back in 2016, there were 155 titles about channel and there were 385,000 about direct sales. And I thought wow. this is a bit of a, a niche. Um, <laughs> and since then, I've been you know, doing my research. We wrote the book, Making Channel Sales Work. Um, it's been taken up by people like Jane McBain, who took it to Dreamforce and you know, in front of 50,000 people, he recommended it uh, to all of Salesforce's channel. Um, and uh, you know, on and off, I've been dragged onto podcast after podcast uh, to talk nice. about it, and I love it um, because it, it is without question the hardest sales job there is, bar none. Um, okay, so let me just make sure I heard that right. Did you say actively, present day, 70% of sales go through channel right now? 75. 75, wow, okay. Now, of all products. All products, all products globally across all 26 vertical markets. Now, would those products also count to the services? For, so, for example, SaaS, uh, so it's products or services well, or just products? No, no, no. That, that, the, the, that's just the products, the services okay. that go with it. So in Salesforce's case, um, for every dollar of license revenue Salesforce generates, $4.20 is made in the ecosystem downstream in services. So whatever is being sold product-wise, you can multiply typically by a factor of around four. Interesting. Okay, interesting. So it's a huge part of the market. So who all should be doing channel sales? I mean, is it should everybody have that in, in their go-to-market strategy? And if I don't, how do I get started? So let me just start with the first question. Who should sell through channel? Okay, I'm going to be radical and extremely controversial, and I suspect both of us will be getting hate mail. <laughs> um, Post-COVID, anyone setting foot in an aluminium uh, tube and flying intercontinental or overseas is going to be caught in quarantine either side for two weeks, in all probability. That's interesting. Now, what that means is that the international road warrior is pretty much redundant for the next 12 to 24 months. Now, if you don't have a channel, you have two choices. One is that you can build a direct sales force and try and manage that remotely. Good luck in places like Ghana and Ivory Coast and Thailand and Cambodia and Guinea-Bissau um, and all those other places that you might want to grow. Um, and the other option is to go via the channel. Now, most organizations will do one of three things. They will either build a massive force of resellers, which they will try and manage directly uh, through their channel management partners. Others will go through distributors who will have a number of partners. And the smart ones uh, will build a special forces unit instead of a land army. Um, and they will spend their time, money, resource, and effort on helping those people be wildly successful. But so let, let, let's, actually, let's... with... Well, sorry, uh, there, there's, there's a really important point to make here. Sure. Um, if you are looking at your sales operation, 
and you're in the midst of COVID now, uh, even if you think we're going to come out of it, there's a possibility of a second uh, wave, um, in which case we may be all back in confinement. And um, you now have an opportunity like you've never had before. You have an opportunity to take a blank sheet of paper and redefine and redesign your entire sales operation. Now, let's pretend it's the 1st of January, 2021. Of the people you currently have on payroll, how many of them would you still have on payroll on the 1st of January? Which of your distributors would you still have as distributors? Which of your partners? Now, there is a lovely rule, a law uh, called Price's Law. And Price's Law states that 50% of your production will come from the square root of the number of people in your organization. So if you have 10 distributors, three of them will produce 50%. If you have 100 salespeople, 10 will produce 50%. If you have 10,000 partners, 100 will produce 50%. Now, when you think about the amount of waste that goes on, the energy, the time, uh, the refereeing uh, fights between children on border disputes, uh, the hassle, uh, the demos that you shouldn't be going on, uh, the opportunity, the pipeline that's wasted. Now is the time to take a good hard look at your entire sales operation and decide, do we keep our direct sales force? Do we keep just the top 50% producers who may only be seven out of 50 um, and use the other 43 salaries, the marketing spend, all of that opportunity, uh, that pipeline uh, to feed those seven? And then how do we use that um, in order to um, help grow um, a more effective uh, team of A players, special forces salespeople, special forces distributors, special forces partners? All now, right, so let's, let's pick suspect, this apart. Yeah, if I might, let me yeah. pick this apart a little bit. Please. All right, so we talked about, all right, so we have a couple of options. In in the new economy, whatever that's going to look like, and nobody has any idea, nobody has any idea if it's going to be a V-shaped recovery or longer. Everybody's pretty sure now that it, we're no longer to V-shaped. So we have a couple of options. We can either put our head in the sand and hope that status quo is going to work, and I think everybody knows that that is not the, the path to go. We can start to go through resellers. We can continue through uh, distributor. We can build a direct um, how about those that say, no, 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 I'm going digital, baby. That's the way of the future. I'm going digital, not this channel sales, okay. not this direct. So how do, how would you, what would you say to those folks? Uh, I say, you know, all power to your elbow. I'm a big fan of uh, digital and um, virtual. Uh, I think what, what we're seeing is that uh, people who have embraced digital technology are seeing a 300% increase in get-through rates during the lockdown. And we're also seeing a 20% increase in pro uh, production across the board. And salespeople are doubling or tripling their uh, meeting ratios. Um, but the reality is most of the salespeople, uh, I mean, how many times have you interviewed road warriors who say, you know, I'm great when I'm in front of customers. Well, you're not in front of customers now. And unless you can adapt, you're going to die or diet. Um, and you know, a lot of them are going to end up on, on the scrap heap. You know, my, my thinking is over the next 30 to 90 days, um, the sales profession will experience a bloodbath. I, I think a lot of salespeople who are furloughed at the moment are not going to be going back um, because, frankly, 
Um, if you put their pipeline in the hands of your A players, uh, then you don't have to pay these people uh, for salaries for which they are underperforming. Now, last year, only 44% of individual reps hit quota. Only 13% of sales teams hit quota. That's shocking. Can you imagine? Can, well, can, can you imagine a finance department operating at that level of proficiency? Correct. And, and that's not just last year. That's been year in, year out. I mean, you've seen all kinds of statistics, but that is typical. And we also know from, you know, we also know that maybe one in four salespeople tend to last. So there's some horrible statistics out there. So if you can whack three of them to keep the one really good one is really what you're saying is that special forces and then empower them. So let's talk through this. What's that structure look like? I have no channel strategy now. What's my ABC one, two, three? How do I build this thing out? The first thing you have to do is look in the mirror. Before you go to the market and try and become a channel vendor uh, or vendor with a channel, you need to look in the mirror and make sure that you're a good partner. Okay. Are so what's you that good partner genuinely, like? Well, um, are you genuinely partner-centric? Um, which means that, um, you know, are you doing everything that you can in order to ensure that your partners are, um, feel like you put their interests before your own? Okay. Um, do you have executive buy-in? This is where it could, I mean, this is the starting point of where it goes wrong. If your senior management uh, see the channel as a get-out-of-sales-free card, if they see the channel as competing with your direct sales force, um, or they play fast and loose with commissions and um, you know, SPIFs and uh, MDF and so on, um, then your partners are going to be disloyal and they will sell other people's stuff over yours. Secondly, um, you need to make sure that you are ready and willing to invest in your partners and train them to sell as if they are your own knowing that they will sell your competitors' products. Because All right, so let, they let me push, wake up in the morning. Let me push you hard here. Whoa, 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 because I hear this all the time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They're the channel partner. They're the distributor. They're the blah, blah, blah. They should be selling this. I shouldn't have to give them leads. I shouldn't have to train them. They sh that's their job. What do you say to those that mindset? You're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, I can lie to you, and I, or I can tell you the truth. Yep. And you're, you're an absolute moron if you think that's the case. And these people are in business for their reasons, not your reasons. They don't wake up in the morning thinking, you know what I want to do is I want to sell Azure, or I want to sell a Cisco router, or I want to sell a Palo Alto uh, you know, network widget. Um, they, they don't think like that. They, they set up in business for themselves, for their reasons, to feed their families, to achieve their goals and objectives. And if you are not supporting them in that, then you will be an afterthought. Now, part of the problem here is that the average channel manager is a failed direct salesperson who's been put out to pasture. Uh, the other type of route to the channel um, is that you're a greenhorn salesperson, so they try you out in the channel. Being a channel manager is closer to being a general manager than it is to being a sales manager. Being a channel chief is closer in profile to um, being a chief executive than to being a VP of sales. I, I said it before, 
It is the single hardest job there is in sales. You need to be really effective at a number of things. You've got to be adaptable. You've got to be driven. You've got to have good analysis and decision-making skills. In the same breath, you've got to be a fantastic coach, collaborative. You've got to be able to communicate with influence. You've got to be fantastic at managing relationships. You've got to be a planner, a strategist. You've got to be able to manage resources. You've got to be strongly process-orientated and a good problem solver. You have to be able to read the situation and address conflict. You've got to be highly self-aware. You've got to be able to take action. You've got to manage behavior. Um, this is not a job uh, for putting a 21-year-old graduate into, and it certainly isn't a job for someone who couldn't manage it in direct sales. It's complicated, yeah, and especially when you start going up the food chain. Um, you know, it, certainly in tech, um, the vendor is becoming increasingly less important. You know, when you look at the tech stack for security or for automation, or for you know, even finance. You know, these are going to have between 6, 12, 20 different vendors. And the, the end user wants one throat to choke. Yes. The partners are the ones with the relationship. So if, you're, if you think um, that uh, you can treat them uh, anything other than royalty, I mean, th let, let me make this clear, uh, Brian. They are your best customer. One partner is worth 50 end users. Why, why would you treat them like crap? So it's let's, obscene. Let's sum up a couple of key takeaways here. So one piece that, whether it's a, a, a channel partner or not, if you're not that others focused, if you don't realize that the world doesn't revolve around you, that's going to affect your hiring and recruiting process. That's going to, re, that's going to affect your customer service, your success strategy. And, and especially like you're saying with this channel partner, if you're not that others focused, training them, giving them leads, setting them up, then they're not going to be as effective as you want them to be. And bottom line, like you said, you called them an idiot, but it's, it's the owner's fault or the, the person's fault that isn't setting them up for success. Is that what you're saying? If your channel isn't working, look in the mirror, because that's where the problem starts. I mean, you, you can say it should be their responsibility, and I'm sure in an adult, intellectual, uh, entirely perfect world, it will be. Yeah. Um, or... You can either be right or you can be effective, one or the other, okay? Now, if, you've, if you want to make a lot of money, then help your partners succeed. Your job is to help your partners be wildly successful. So let me give you three examples. Um, a partner that I use uh, and I'm partnering with as well, he's just exited his business at 36 years old. Um, nice. He exited for four, he took 400 million um, pounds out of that business at exit. And he built over 15 years a $3 billion business exclusively using channel, okay? Now, um, two other good examples, ConnectWise and Datto, both exited at $1.5 billion. And they were pure play channel businesses. The next nearest rival in their marketplace IPO'd for $100 million. Now, hmm. you can scale massively and fast if you do it right. Or you can choose to go the hard way and you can say it's the partner's responsibility. The, the definition that we use of a partner is two organizations that help each other get better. Yeah, I've been if hearing you are this. Not help, and it, it's not one way. You hold them to account and they hold you to account. Now yes. being the vendor, 
of multiple partners, you are at the center and you can gather all the best practices and share them with an exclusive bunch of partners. Now, they won't mind you sharing that if you have a small number of partners and they don't compete with each other. So if you have one partner per region or one partner per vertical, they don't care if you share that information, but if you're going to share it with their direct competition, they will. Yeah. Get smart. Interesting. Okay, so number one of the one, two, three step building process is be a really good partner. What's a, what's, what's a couple of others that we really need to do? So if we want to be a good channel partner, it's look in the mirror, be that good partner. What's another one? Um, establish a rock solid upfront contract. Okay, so Make for sure those on understand. the... Yep, let's, Sorry, let's explain what's an upfront contract for those who don't know it. An upfront contract is an agreement at the beginning as to what will happen in the end. It's identifying what you both want as an outcome for each interaction or for the partnership. And um, who gets to keep the kids in the event of a divorce? That's a really good thing. So it's a prenup. Right. Um, uh, how do you escalate in the event that um, the vendor finds that they're struggling uh, to get uh, traction within their uh, an individual partner? Um, how often are you going to hold one another to account? How often are you going to meet? What's the uh, cadence of communication? Are, are you going to let uh, my, ve uh, my channel managers uh, train your people and coach your people and midwife deals? Are you going to let me speak to your customers? You know, these are the kind of things. And you need to understand, um, you know, before you put a ring on their finger, you know, have you answered you know, questions like, is the chief executive or the founder the only person who sells in that organization? Or are they their top salesperson? How do they get business? If they say, oh, we get all of our business by referral, unless they're systematic about it and they can absolutely uh, turn it on and off at will, then you have a problem because all you're going to have is a technical business, which then is the other thing. You know, what sort of um, uh, focus do they have? Are they more technical than sales or the other way around? Uh, are your cultures compatible? Um, how easy are they to deal with from the outset? Uh, are there salespeople asking good questions? While you're going through the um, courtship and the onboarding and the, uh, the ramp up, are the salespeople asking you good questions? Because that's a big alarm bell. If all they do is they just uh, you know, ask for product knowledge, uh, that's a really good indicator that they're going to be awful partners because they won't <laughs> sell for toffee. Um, you know, are they open to having regular pipeline review meetings with you? Uh, do you both agree what good looks like? Have you identified win-win outcomes? If you haven't got answers to those questions before you start, you're setting yourself up to fail. You know, and, and make sure that you have a rock-solid onboarding process. Um, have the right of veto uh, with the salesperson that they uh, assign you. Um, you know, are you working with one person and they're going to give you their junior person uh, to be your salesperson? Or are they taking their top salesperson to work with you? you know, yeah. if, if you haven't established all of that, then you're setting yourself up for a, a lifetime of misery. So it's kind of funny, nothing new under the sun. So, you know, step number one, be others focused, make sure that I'm a good partner, looking in the mirror to make sure of that. Step number two is make sure I have, like you said, rock solid upfront contracts or um, roles and responsibilities clearly identified, those expectations laid out. Love it. What's, what's one or two more? 
Um, well, also make sure that you provide the tools and resources they need to do their best work every day, selling your stuff. Okay. So do you have an approach to territory and account planning, to opportunity identification, for qualification, for solution development, for proposing an advancement and for service delivery? Now, the service delivery point is where the real selling begins. The, the initial sale, it, and when you're selling into a marketplace, which a lot of enterprise customers actually are, um, you, know, you can look at their supply chain, you can look at their customer base, you can look at their joint ventures, you can look at uh, their parent and sister companies. You've got to be savvy about this. And your job is to put money in their back because your partners are coin operated. You know, they're, 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 like I said at the beginning, they are doing this for their reasons, not yours. If you don't understand what their personal motivations are, at an executive level and at an individual salesperson's level, as a channel manager, you're basically going to be pushing rope uphill. So you've got to make sure that you onboard them well, you understand them, and this is really key. You are managing without power. Your currency in the channel is influence and trust. That's it. You have yeah. no power. You don't hire, you don't fire, you don't determine their compensation. Your job is to make them want to pick up the phone to you. For every time you call them, to, for them to put down the phone to someone else and pick up and say, thank God you called. What have you got for me? <laughs> so, yeah? and, and, and the beauty thing here is what you're talking about, Marcus, is this is a way you hire direct salespeople. This is the way you hire everyone because you onboard them, you train them, you provide for them. So. One part channel sales, yes, but this is ubiquitous across every single way that we're going. So I love this. So let's, if they want more of that, they, they can grab your book. So shameless plug, the name of the book again is? Making Channel Sales Work by Marcus Kauke and David Davies. So right on the background there, if you're watching on YouTube here. So let me change, uh, let's, let, let's change a little bit. There it is. Let's change here a little bit. How do I structure this? So if I'm doing marketing, digital marketing, I have direct sales, I have channel sales, what's that structure look like? Can you paint that picture for us? Yeah, uh, fire most of the marketing people that you have. Stop <laughs> wasting money on pointless marketing. Um, so my, my focus is on tech, okay? Um, and marketing in tech is awful. It's, I mean, it's frankly, it's shameful. You know, last year, $56 billion was wasted on Facebook advertising alone that got zero clicks. You multiply that across uh, Google and LinkedIn and every other platform. Uh, most of that marketing is wasted. Most of the marketing is tedious, dull, intellectual drivel. Um, you know, product data sheets have never sold a single product in the history of humanity. Um, so get rid of your marketing people and get some decent marketing in that you can measure and track that's focused on the right end of the problem. Spend so let's good money on PR. Yep, I was just going to say, so let's get, what, what are six examples of good marketing then? What should they be spending their money on? Okay, um, there are a lot of dinosaurs in our profession uh, who still have not got uh, used to the idea of uh, technologies like LinkedIn. Okay, LinkedIn, I, personally, I mean, my, my wife and I run our franchise out of the little backwater sleepy town uh, in southeast England. And we did 600,000 pounds, 670 grand 
through LinkedIn uh, content uh, production. Wow. Uh, that's where we generated a huge chunk of our business in the last five years. And okay. you, that was, you, you to... were new to that and you really made, that really changed your whole entire dynamic of your business, if I remember correctly. Well, I, I, I cut my teeth on another platform called the Academy. And when that died, I moved on to LinkedIn. And then, you know, through trial and error and through asking and getting help. Um, so there's a really brilliant book called Inbound by a lady called Sam Rathling. Okay. Now, Sam's a client of mine. And to give you an idea of just how powerful LinkedIn together with Sandler is, uh, she went from startup to half a million dollars in sales in three months. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this year, she's probably going to do about 2.2 million. Um, and uh, within five years, she's on target. Uh, we've got a plan and a trajectory to take her to 100 million. Okay. Beautiful. So, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I couldn't be prouder to be associated with her. She's one of the hardest working people in, on the planet. Yeah. Now, uh, LinkedIn, um, develop a LinkedIn strategy that has outreach so that you're building your network, content, um, groups, um, and make sure that you're, all of your salespeople, whether they're direct or indirect through the channel, make sure you train them on social selling which a lot of CEOs and uh, uh, CFOs and CROs say, oh, poo-poo, um, you know, what is this newfangled stuff? They should just pick up the phone. Well, picking up the phone is a great way of testing your message, but it's one of the most inefficient ways of doing it when you have other alternatives. However, as um, a support function uh, that goes with your content and your outreach, it's, there's almost nothing better. So they need to be trained in how to sell using the telephone and how to book appointments using the phone. They need to learn how to use technologies like Zoom or Teams or WebEx, um, because increasingly, I mean, for the next two years, you can be pretty certain that many people do not want uh, strangers coming into their premises. Um, I did a poll on uh, LinkedIn a, uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, to find out if people wanted it. Not one person came back uh, out of a couple of hundred people um, and uh, said that they wanted someone to step foot in their premises. Now, right. that may change, okay, but at the moment, that's certainly the case. Um, you can't uh, sell internationally by jumping on a plane without losing a month of your life in quarantine. So you better get used to using social selling. Um, you need to be great at storytelling. And so PR, uh, storytelling. I, I did a, um, a podcast interview with a guy called Paul Alexandri. Now, you'll never have heard of Paul. Uh, Paul is the guy who helped Kahoot which is a $1.7 million turnover business, <coughs> excuse me, based in Oslo, um, and helped them win 700 million unique users, 70 million of whom use their product every day. Now, that's given them a platform, and that came through Story. Um, and that platform has catapulted them into the likes of Google, Facebook, Twitter, at a board level, because they understand that... Le uh, adult learning actually works better through experiential learning and through play. So this is a way of creating educational games and interaction uh, so that you can get large numbers of people to engage. Now, that was built through story. And the story needs to be taken out of marketing's hands and it needs to be put into the boardroom because the chief executive of any business is the chief storyteller.
Right. And it needs to be through their voice, and then everybody in the organization must be able to articulate it. So I interviewed uh, Tom Shodorf, who executed, or architected and executed um, the scale-up of uh, a company called Splunk. Great name. Um, Splunk went from 45 million to 1.2 billion in five years, working in partnership with us at Sandler. Now, what was really interesting was that um, Tom has a cadence of um, activity that as the head of sales globally, he was responsible for on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. Um, and uh, he identified what he needed to do, how frequently, with whom, and what outcome. And right. channel managers need to have that cadence as well. Um, and managers need to have that cadence. There needs to be a real emphasis on coaching, on sharing best practice, on lesson capture. And this is where the best in channel are fantastic. But, you know, when you look at the channel chiefs um, who are absolutely at the peak of their game, um, they are the ones who have that kind of plan. And they've also got a good deputy because they may be big picture and they need someone who's good operationally or they may be good operationally and they need someone who's good at the human side. Um, and more often than not, they, they work really well as teams. Got it. So now that was a, a mixture of, of marketing and then when you started getting to, uh, into sales. So what does sales look like whenever we have channel? Because we, we have sales internally, but we're also going channel. So what's that structure look like? What are the rules and responsibilities there? I, I think good salespeople should be spending their time in front of customers either uh, doing initial discovery and advancing sales. But I think uh, increasingly team selling is important. Um, so as your organization starts to grow, it's a good idea to make sure that you have a mix of people on your team. And if opportunities are not advancing, then be ready to take somebody off and put someone else in. Uh, make sure that you have war rooms. Um, make sure that you have uh, red teams and white teams. This is a concept that I've been applying with my clients for the last couple of years, and it works brilliantly. Okay, so can you hit that, is, the red team, white team, uh, meaning ant antagonist? What's that look like? Yeah. Um, well, the white team is made up of the salesperson who is captain of the account. Okay. And the other salesperson who signs off uh, to allow it to go into the CRM and into the pipeline. So two salespeople have to sign it off, not just one. Which means that they hold each other to account. And um, you don't want your initials against something um, because if you do, um, then it's your reputation. And the white team defends on maybe a monthly basis. Uh, everyone comes with one opportunity that they have to defend. And so the two people on the white team defend it and the red team pick it apart. So huh. this is where we identify any gaps, uh, questions, use the debrief, all that kind of stuff. And it's an excruciatingly uncomfortable process. But oh, then people brilliant. walk out there and learn. Oh, what, uh, I mean, yeah. a learning exercise? That would be horrible. Everybody would complain about it. But yeah. you talk about getting better. That's daily boot camp. That's awesome. I love that. That's a key takeaway here for well, everyone. What, what's really interesting... What's really interesting, Brian, is they love it after they've done it once. The first time it's excruciating, but they learn so much. And when they apply what they've learned, 
the sale accelerates. And so you shorten the sales cycle, increase the probability of closing. The deal size increases. Um, the uh, experience that the customer has is massively improved. It opens up referrals because they're so impressed with the experience of buying. Yeah. And the next time you can have them fighting to be first in line. Let me, let me. Yeah, you you will get a lot of pushback to begin with, though. No question. So so, as our team is doing this, they're doing the pipeline management, if you will, and they're also going out on yeah. these sales calls to support the channel person. That channel person is really being. Uh, the impetus or the, the, you know, the, the starting point of this sales opportunity. And then we're supporting that sales channel partner. And then, so is that the inter interplay there? That's how they work together? The, the vendor might bring the leads. Right. Um, the partner might bring the leads. It may be something that they work on together. And one thing that we teach our clients to do is surging. So um, they sit down uh, together on a regular basis and they prospect together. But for the partner, the idea is to fill the partner's pipeline. And what we find the best channel managers is spending 15, but nearer 70% of their time in the partner business, working at a strategic level uh, with the executive team, working at an operational level with the managers, working at a tactical level with the salespeople. And they're coaching them, they're midwifing deals. Um, they are helping them do pipeline uh, cleansing and making sure their CRM is properly hygienic. Um, they're identifying any gaps. They're clearing the path. And this is, a, I mean, it's a proper collaboration. So I hadn't put this together until you just said this. So in reality, what came to my mind is, well, that seems stupid. Why wouldn't you just go direct? But you answered that, that question earlier whenever you said, that technology stack is filled with so many and you're just one little piece and you're not a big enough piece of that to get all of their attention. Whereas that channel partner is the integration of that in, in really making sure that their client is going to be able to put this to use and keep it. Because if I can't use it properly and get the return on investment, I'm getting rid of that, that technology anyway. So they're the integrator. They're making sure that you stay alive. And so that's really why you want to, um, work with them and support them. Is that correct? Uh, absolutely. And what's more, you help them get the whole deal, not just your piece. You're, if, you, uh, if you want to build total loyalty, help them get deals over the line um, that you're just a part of. Um, help them strategize. So in the book, we've introduced a number of tools, pre-call planning, post-call debrief, um, uh, helping them to uh, map out their account, look at the competitive landscape, look at uh, ret account retention. You know, all of this stuff, that, that's the stuff that none of your other competing vendors are likely to be doing. Um, so when you pick up the phone to them, they will see your number and they'll say, ah, it's Brian, let me take that. Okay, but the average channel manager's conversation with a salesperson in a partner goes something like this. Hi, ring, ring, Brian. Hi, yes. what do you got for me this month? <laughs> Nothing. All right, okay, I'll speak to you next month. Thanks, bye. Mm, bloody hell, there's that idiot Marcus again. Yeah. Yeah? No that's value That's a massively at all. different relationship. Yep. No value at all. Okay, and the one of the thing, if you want to, if you want to make sure that your partners hate you, open a conversation with "What have you got for me this month?" or "What are you <laughs> going to do for me this year?" Yeah.
Let's let that sink I, in. I, I, yep. Yeah. I, I, you, you just have to marvel at the stupidity of people. Uh, but they think that that is doing it, that, that's salesmanship or that's managing a channel. That isn't managing a channel. Your partners will buy f uh, from you in spite of you, not because of you. If yeah, you do and, that. And so really that salesperson then working with that channel partner, you gave a couple of key characteristics, but really that adaptability, that challenge growth change, as we used to call it, right? That growth yeah. mindset, if you will, that adaptability, uh, ability to make decision, able to be the coach, able to lead with influence because you don't have any authority over these people. So you have to lead through a through influence. None. Yes, absolutely. So love it. Well, hey, I want to be cognizant of your time here, Marcus. I can't thank you enough. So let me let me end it up with a couple of, of quick uh, takeaways here. So one is, you know, what's the biggest thing that we should avoid when doing this? What's one thing that we should avoid that that we shouldn't stub our toe on? Your ego. Get out of the way. You are not important. What's important is helping your partners be wildly successful. The minute you are eye-centered and you're focused on your selfish self-interest, it's pretty much dead. And you need to be ready. If you're going to do over a, a partner um, and you're going to mess them about, you better be ready to retire. Yeah. Yeah, it's a small community out there. Now, how about, um, uh, we've gotten so many hacks, so I'm gonna skip that question, but how about other than making channel sales work, um, what's another maybe book or podcast or guide, something else that our people should be listening to? Uh, well, at the risk of being wildly self-serving, I have two podcasts. One is the Inquisitor podcast, which is marcuskalki.podbean.com. And the other one I have is called Scale Ups and Hypergrowth. And uh, it's scaleupsandhypergrowth.podbean.com. It's on Spotify and Apple. The, the second one is with the world's best sales and channel leaders who are driving massive growth. I mean, 3,000, 5,000, 12,000% growth uh, over a two-year period. Um, and the wheels aren't coming off. These are the people who made it. So people like Tom Shodorf, Jim Legg from Phycotic. Now he's taken, this is fifth scale up. And he's taken uh, Phycotic from 10 million to half a billion in five years. Wow. They've gone from nowhere to being number two in their market in five years. Uh, Ryan Longfield from Gong. Now, 12,000% growth in two years. And prior to that, he grew LinkedIn's talent uh, business. Um, uh, Chris Dudridge from UiPath. They've done 6,000% in the last two years. Um, Tom Castley from Outreach. And I've got people like that coming on every week. Um, nice. And um, what else would be really good? Um, Paul Lanigan's got an interesting podcast as well. Um, okay. Really like his uh, podcast. Nice. Okay, perfect. I really appreciate that. How about this, Marcus? Who should reach out to you? How should they do it? And why should they do it? Okay. Um, they should reach out to me if they are ready to be asked a lot of very uncomfortable questions to which they need the answers, but they may not like them. Um, and uh, they would typically be the founders or owners of technology, disruptive technology scale-ups in the 10 to 50 million mark. And what they're looking to do is achieve 200% year-on-year compound growth over the next five to eight years. It's going to be a hell of a ride. Uh, but if you're ready to make that leap and you're ready to scale at pace without losing control, then you, you're right within my sweet spot. And that's what I'm an expert in. Nice. Um, you can get a hold of me through LinkedIn. I'm all over it like a rash. 
Uh, you can email me at mcauchi at sandler.com um, or I'm on Twitter as the underscore inquisitor. Um, and I have a YouTube channel. There's 400 videos on there, you know, the resources around sales channel management recruitment, um, if you're interested in that. And um, just just get in touch, you know, but don't expect an easy ride uh, and make sure you have a box of tissues. I do make grown men cry. <laughs> Nothing's easy. So Marcus, I knew this would be a lot of fun. Uh, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. It's been a ton of fun, ton of value. Uh, if you're listening to this, reach out. He's a great guy. Thanks again, Marcus. Thanks, Brian.